0: SQLcast Two is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to Batman-on-film.com. Fellow citizens, today is a sad day indeed. Mars has gone silent. Her surface overwhelmed by arachnids, with no sign of survivors,
1: military or civilian
0: the credits roll, there's always more to tell, especially when the video sales
1: are doing really well, from Shock Treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6, this is Sequel Cast,
0: and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the bitter end, this is Sequel Cast, and your host, Sebastian. Welcome to SequelCast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise, one movie at a time. I'm Matt Bradley Shergi. with me as Thrasher. Hello, citizen. And uh, this time around, we're doing what I sort of call like a, a Gap episode. Uh, way back in the original SequelCast series, we covered movie franchises that have gotten sequels since then, so we're sort of uh, filling in the Gap, so to speak. And uh, this time around, we're looking at the uh, direct-to-video CG animated um Starship Troopers film, Starship Troopers Traitor of Mars. That's the fifth Starship Troopers uh, movie for those that are keeping track. And the second fully animated one. Uh, yeah, that's right. And you know, it's it's done through uh, Sony Pictures Entertainment. It, it, the way these look, it reminds me a bit of the CG Resident Evil direct-to-video films that Sony has come uh-huh. out with. Um, where, like, in still pictures, they look good, but as soon as they move, everything kind of falls apart. Well, everything looks kind of everything looks kind of like a high-quality
1: action figure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's true. You know, I was was watching some of this, and my wife was walking in, and she said, uh, Matt, what crappy video game is this? And, I mean, she's right. It does look like a a video game cutscene, except it's feature length. I actually Um, want to talk about that, particularly one scene. This movie does feel like a
1: video game, but in all the right ways.
0: Cool. Uh, Before that, let's give the technical credits for the movie. This is... uh, Directed by Sinji Maki and Masaru Matsumoto. Uh, produced by Joseph Cho, Max Nishi, and Tomi Hashimoto. Written by Edward Newmeyer, Based on Starship Troopers by Robert A. Heinlein. Starring Casper, uh, featuring the voices of Casper Van Dien, Dina Meyer, D. Ray Davis. Music by Tetsuya Tagahashi. And, um, yeah, this came out, you know, in 2017. So this uh, is, is a pretty recent one. You know, about five years or so after the uh, the fourth one, which is Starship Troopers Invasion, but it's uh, one of the same directors, and it certainly looks similar. I, I thought to that one we saw uh, we talked about a few years ago. Yeah, it, 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 this
1: this movie looks great, and of all this, this movie does two things that none of the other Star Troopers movies have done, uh, as far as the sequels go. Uh, One, it really does capture the spirit of the original. Uh, And two, it's the only one of these movies that acknowledges that previous movies have happened within this continuity.
0: I think we might have got, like, slight acknowledgement, but you're right, this one more directly acknowledges what happens in the past movies. And and, and to your point, more directly... uh, hits on things from the original which i appreciated yeah i mean it was it was it was really nice seeing
1: uh excuse me seeing uh uh, seeing uh seeing dizzy flores come back it was great seeing carl jenkins come back it was neat to see that these characters have had a life since the first film and have moved on with their careers
0: now, you did have um, Carl Jenkins was in Starship Troopers' Invasions. I don't recall if Carmen was as well. Uh, certainly Dizzy wasn't. But yeah, it's nice to have those characters back in a bigger role. And I think as you do have some continuity with the last one where the character Rat's Ass was in Invasion. But I didn't. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. But that's what <laughs> my research tells me. And um and the way this starts is sort of a takeoff on the beginning of Star Trek II. The yeah,
1: We we are dropped into the middle of the action as as Johnny Rico, our returning hero, leads uh leads a cadre of troopers on a mission to destroy a bug's nest and the mission uh, goes completely foobar, Every, they get blown up, They in the end, they get blown up by their own nuke, but then you find out it was just a training simulation.
0: Yeah, and I think what I liked about the troopers in this one compared to, you know, in some of the other films is they're all very green. They are, you know, for the most part, incompetent, and Johnny Rico, for um, whatever reason, I don't if they mentioned it, it must have slipped me by. But he is, uh, since Starship Troopers' invasion, this place after that film, uh, he's been demoted, and he's just on this Martian, uh, you know... Nemesis um, station. Nemesis station, thank you, uh, training a bunch of very green troopers. And he's, he's kind of taking it easy. Um, and you just see how incompetent they are. In the simulation, and of course that pays off later when they actually have to face against the, the bugs for real. Oh, uh, yeah. and, and one notable thing about this one that wasn't the case in the, the last uh, one is Casper Van Deen actually voices Johnny Rico, and I, think it make, I do think it uh, makes a difference. No, it absolutely does. Um, it is interesting to note, you know, just like in the last movie, which makes sense because it's a sequel, it has the look of, uh, Johnny Rico has, a, has an eye patch. I don't think they've ever outright said why, presumably in battle something happened. Uh, but with the, with the eye patch, with, his, with the beard, he reminds me of, uh, you know, Solid Snake in the Metal Gear games. No, if if you told me this
1: was a movie about Solid Snake in the future, I would believe it. They've, they've changed his hair color. They've even given him that that gray stripe that you see in some of those older yes. images of uh, yeah.
0: Solid Snake. That's true, and I, I like the gray stripe. It's distinguished. Um, also, it, it, I was thinking maybe it was a legal reason where they couldn't resemble the actors, because uh, Carl Jenkins you know, doesn't look like... Um, Oh, Neil Patrick Harris. What, thank you. Neil Patrick Harris. But it... Um, but they, they overall go for... Even though it's this was made in Japan... Uh, they go for a, a relatively Western look for the characters. They don't look like anime in CG form. Um... <laughs> Well, my wife I, my wife and I
1: talked about that, and I'm, I am pretty sure that the makers of this movie just didn't pay for likeness rights, uh, which is yeah, why yeah, that makes sense. no one even comes close... I guess with the exception of Dizzy, no one comes close to looking like they did in any of the earlier films.
0: I do wonder if they offered uh, the parts to Neil Patrick Harris, and... Um, I feel
1: like they must have, because they, yeah, did, they did get uh, Dina Meyer back, so I, I'm true. sure they made the offer, but I'm also sure he's moved on to bigger and better things. Although even, even then, if the, if the role was just like a little bit more fun, I bet he would have done it just for fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, in this he plays the titular traitor of Mars, but we'll get to that. Um, you know, part of the original Starship Troopers was satire, and uh, most of these sequels have ignored the satire, I think with the exception of Starship Troopers 3 Marauder. And even you then, hear... that movie fumbles with the satire on every step of the way. Yes, with the exception of the magnificent musical number A Good Day to Die. Uh, Which but, we constantly <laughs> reference, both on the show and in our personal lives. And in this movie, they say A Good Day to Die a lot.
1: Um, well, that's something, it, it's really hit hard in the opening scenes, but throughout this movie, they're quoting lines from all the earlier movies. Yes. But in a way
0: that doesn't feel intrusive. Come on, apes, do you want to live forever? Is said a lot, um... Which is the line you know that Rico gets when he's a, a trainee in the beginning, and then he's saying it at the end of the film. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but as far as the satire goes, uh, you get some of those. Would you like to know more things? I don't think those are quite funny though. The more informational, but specifically the character of Sky Marshal Snap. <laughs> is i think pretty interesting and a, a good villain for the piece she, she's
1: re- she's really of the times because she is she she's this person that's risen to this high position of power you don't know how she's got there she's obsessed with proving to everyone how capable she is but she never demonstrates any capability and she's obsessed with she's more obsessed with her public image than she is with the security of the federation and and like we, we she she in a in a lot of ways she feels like she feels like Trump by way of Sarah Palin.
0: Yeah, she's certainly a populist and the touch I really enjoyed is there's different parts in the movie where she's making speeches on TV and right next to her in real time is her approval rating. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. if she says something bad like it drops 20 points. And her, I love her, her feed is interrupted and, it and like the look on her face is just like appalled and
1: it's uh well i love whenever they show the approval rating there's always an undecided
0: (laughs) yes it's it's a smart touch i think and it's not it's really not too far from the truth i mean you have i don't think they do it as much anymore um just because of how toxic the the internet can be but they used to show you know live tweets oh lord of, of reaction of people when they were doing um, especially, like, in election speeches or, or whatever. And, of course, people are just posting garbage most of the time. But, yeah, I think that that's a, a good, simple device. It uh, also sh- uh, should be uh, noted that the writer on this is Edward Newmyer, who wrote Starship Troopers 1, 2, and 3. On uh, The last one, Starship Troopers Invasion, was written by um, Flint Dill, who uh, I had the pleasure of meeting on one occasion. Um, cool. Which was neat. But... Uh, but yeah, with this one, you know, it's nice to have the original writer back. And I think the story in this is more coherent than what we had in Starship Troopers Invasion, which was more episodic. This is more of like a, a bigger story with, uh, with um, a... With a point. Yeah, yeah, with a point. They're not just going on missions. Um, well, the other thing I want to talk about, this movie has a really
1: fascinating structure. Because the, the unspoken thing about the original Starship Troopers is they... In order to make a movie that satirizes fascism, they made the ultimate fascist propaganda film. And in this film, the way it's structured, you have three films running in parallel. Uh, You have the fascist propaganda film, which is everything involving Rico and his troopers being big damn heroes. Then you've got a 1970s political thriller, which is everything involving Carl and all the intrigue about the traitors of Mars and the conspiracy going on. And then you have a flat-out satire slash farce, which is everything involving Snap and the news segments and her interviews and her and her speeches. Which they they never hang they never hang a lantern on this. But whenever she's giving a speech, she's always in an empty auditorium. Mm-hmm. But it's always zoomed in on her, so you can't see that there's no audience.
0: Well, and they they dub in like clapping sound effects after all the stuff, and, and hoots and cheers after she says anything. Um, yeah, I thought that was a a fun touch as well. It makes me not, not to harp on this too much, but you know, when at Trump's inauguration, he said this was the, the most crowded it had ever been. And then they had shown, uh,
1: photos to the contrary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Photos radically to the contrary. Um, so, but yeah, so, I mean, we, we do get, you mentioned, uh, off mic before we started recording that these are sort of stock characters on the team. Oh, yeah, it is is like your stock... Like, these are the people
1: that you'd have... If this was like a, a a good not great World War Two or Vietnam movie, you've got uh, you've got the uh, the token black guy, you've got the guy with glasses who's slightly nebbish, you've got the mm-hmm. southern guy. Uh, I do like I do like the, the girl who's on the team or the woman who's on the team who like is, is a glamour puss. Like she's always in flawless makeup <laughs> with the glittery lipstick and like the eighties rock star eyeshadow, but they never comment on it.
0: Right, that's that's Camacho, and I think one one thing they do in this movie that's cool that you didn't even see in the original, probably because the effects couldn't have been good enough, is what I like to call the Iron Man effect. Because these characters are in their battle suits most of the time, and they look pretty much identical, Um, it cuts to their sort of an extreme close-up of them, and you get the reflections of the um, technical readouts from the mask on their face, as they're usually panicking. Uh, and, and it's nice. It gives a bit of humanity because um, I don't recall what they've done in some of the other movies, but in in this, you can't really tell who is who. They do have their na- their call signs written on their um, power suits, but I do think the power suits in this were, were smaller than what we had in Marauder. Is that right?
1: Yeah, they're they're more compact, and they're modular, and really the only thing that distinguishes them when they're fully armored up, aside from their name tags, which you can't often see, is that everyone does have a little flourish on their helmet, but mm. you really have to pick it out, and it's usually only visible from the front.
0: Yeah, it's really subtle. I think, you know, something that handled this better was the uh, animated series, uh, Star Wars, the Clone Wars, where a lot of those troopers had paint, mm. and very, you know, very, more obvious markings. Uh, to, to tell them apart, but I mean, their their voices are um, well, their voices are just distinct, distinct. And, the, and the physical. I I I can't one hundred percent verify this, but the sense
1: I get is that a lot of the character animation was done through motion capture, just based oh, yes. on the way yeah. they move. Yeah. Um, and so, physically, they tend to be acted physically very different, which does which does help. But I wanted you to talk about the you know the Iron Man the heads up displays that they have. Sure. This movie does something that I have wanted to see forever. Is that their head. Because usually in a movie, when you see a heads up display, it's full of all these neat reticules and graphs and things, but they don't mean anything. Throughout this entire movie, every time you see a heads up display, there is real information that is being displayed. I I don't know if you caught this, but they have their targeting reticule, but they also have. Excuse me. They also have an ammo count which is accurate to win, to win their shooting in the film. They have a thing that indicates their, their jump jet fuel levels. They have a thing that indicates, like, threats. Like, there is there is real information that's displayed on those helmets that I, I absolutely love, which, again, when I said that this is a video game in all the right ways, that's one of the right ways, because that is useful information to have in a, in a live combat situation, and it's also what you would have on your screen if you were playing this as a first-person shooter
0: that's true and uh you know back to the story they do introduce snap who we've talked about but also you have the character of jenkins who is a, a, a what, what do they call like he's on the psyops team he can do um telep- telepathy and oh, the, mental communication yeah the paranormal warfare division that's right and um and he has captured i, I mean this whole movie really he's captured which is a bit too bad, because you could have a lot of fun with that character, you know, on the battlefield or in mission command or something. And and, and he does have some influence in the story, but really he gets captured and tortured a lot. Well,
1: because what happens early on is that part part of the story is that... It, and I, I like that there's some neat world building here, is that uh, it's... Um, mars has a holiday coming up called called air day and it celebrates the day that the martian atmosphere became breathable due to terraforming which is probably a holiday we're going to have in the future if we ever get off of earth long term Mm, Uh, mm -hmm. and and mars there's been long-term rumblings that mars wants to be independent from the federation which i don't know how they're going to do that they're right next to earth cosmically speaking um but, you know, there's rumblings of Martian independence and a lot of Martians want to use Air Day as like a platform for advocating for their independence. And turns out the as is the habit in the Federation of Starship Troopers, the entire Federation fleet has been sent into the of the, uh, the bug sector of space for a massive campaign, which presumably leaves our solar system completely undefended um, and so w- during the during the bombing campaign of one of the the alien planets, Carl uh, telepathically communicates with uh, Carbon Ibanez, who's the captain of the John A. Warden, saying that she needs to come back to our solar system for a classified mission and needs to get in touch with Johnny Rico. And this is one thing that that does not work in this film is that is there any reason why he can't just telepathically broadcast this information to Johnny Rico? because he does establish a psychic yeah. link with Johnny Rico about halfway through the film. He, he does
0: I, and that's a major plot point. I I think he I think he's trying to hedge his bets getting uh, Carmen to come over cuz you know Carmen has a ship. Maybe maybe he figures that she can get um Rico and his crew if if they're in trouble, if they're escape pods and, and things crash or whatever you know that's
1: true for all we for all we know uh carl was going to contact uh rico next however in the middle of his 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 telepathic communication uh with Ibanez, he gets cornered in the spaceport by uh by the psi division and gets knocked on stunned and beaten (laughs) and taken to containment
0: and it's quite a beating i mean later they go into great detail with the bruises on his face and uh Oh yeah, he's he treated very roughly in this film. And so meanwhile,
1: so all this come, all this is going on, and then Nemesis Station is under attack, uh, because Bug Plasma starts firing up from the surface of Mars. Somehow there's bugs on Mars. Uh so Johnny gets his recruits uh into a, into a, a dropship, uh, and they uh see, when they get into a dropship, they're going to evacuate the station, but then their dropship takes a hit, so they decide they're just going to have to do an aerial drop into the middle of the bug zone on Mars, and that's a pretty exciting scene, because like, we see them, we see them fuck up a drop in training, so it's really fun to see them jump out of this dropship and use their jump jets to slow their descent, and just some... It's, it's neat to, It is really neat To see the characters Actually succeed at something As they get dropped Into the middle Of this swarm of bugs And they make Their landing zone But of course There's a high body count In this film One of them Doesn't survive the drop That's something I love About this movie All the violence Has consequences I don't think There's a single scene Involving this squad In combat Where somebody Doesn't die Because one of the the guys in the drop prematurely broke his suit's air seal and he froze to death on the way down.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a clever touch. Um, Also, you see that as they're on the dropship and stuff, the way it's shot mirrors the the training sequence in the beginning of the film. And you, you get the sense, you know, this is most of the crew's first mission. They're doing it for real. And they're just as nervous, if not more so, than they were in the simulation. And I like that he has to convince some of them that, okay, you're going to have to free free jump off this uh, crashing ship. <laughs> yep. And some of them are more hesitant than others. But... Um, but it's, it's a
1: it's a good scene. There's a lot of there's a lot of action, and I like that the that, that because people are already starting to die, uh, the stakes are, are already being raised.
0: Yeah, and of course, once they land, it is. I, I love what a huge amount of bugs they have to fight. It's just non-stop it's, chaos, and and they keep consistent with the designs of the bugs from the film. Which which is a good choice. That is one of the things that's that fascinate, fascinates me about these sequels,
1: is that the bugs and the Federation iconography never changes. And those are two of the strongest things about the original film. It, it fascinates me the longevity that this franchise has had.
0: Yeah, I mean, so that means these um, four directivity of sequels must be selling well enough. Um, well, five, for them uh... to keep on um, Five, I guess, with those and, and, um, oh, for no, no, record. it is 4, but I'm sure there's going to be oh, a Oh, yeah, and and Sony has been trying to get a remake of the original Starship Troopers film as a live-action thing, and uh, they've done a few different passes on the script, and allegedly the script takes out any of the humor and satire that was in the original, which makes me think if, if it ever comes out, we'll get something sort of like the Tepid Robocop um, reboot. Yeah, this
1: this really needs this this needs a this needs a somewhat humorous edge to
0: be bearable. Right, Maybe. otherwise it's just like you said, like a like a mediocre World War II movie, except in space, and they're fighting bugs instead of Nazis but i mean we got a lot of good we
1: get a lot of good action set pieces on mars we keep we keep cutting into these federal news broadcasts where 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 we see like pundits talking about we see, we see anti-martian independence propaganda on the federal network there's this, there's even this whole thing about how like martians have a naturally childlike psychology and are prone <laughs> to unproductive outbursts of violence like it's not not to not to to trivialize what happened during segregation in the United States, but it's a lot like the racist bullshit you would hear during segregation in the United States.
0: Well, and it's also like the racist bullshit you would hear with the uh, colonization of um, Africa by England.
1: Oh, that's true too.
0: There's a lot of that as well. Um, no, I don't know if you noticed this, but did you notice that whenever
1: they cut to? Uh, two pundits the pundits are played by live action actors
0: are they live action actors yes they are i i I thought they looked a bit off um one thing i thought was sort of strange is they there's one of those segments they do sort of man on the street interviews but (laughs) instead of showing footage of them they just show a still picture of their face
1: they they all look like production interns pulling mugs
0: i'm sure they are um so that's uh, I mean, the one scene that I really like as, as the plot goes on with Carl is you have um, the, um, oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah, Sky Marshal? Yeah, Sky Marshal Snap is giving one of her many speeches she gives on TV for the ratings, and he uses his uh, psychic powers to make her nosebleed in the middle of her speech. But he's also reading her mind at the same time. Right and it's uh i think it's a nice scene because then she tries to recover and when she comes back to see him she's pissed and it's a it's a good way of him getting some come up it's on her but this as... is also when the
1: conspiracy starts to play out because it turns out that uh she that her, the plan is because bugs have infested mars Uh, The Sky Marshal wants to blow it up and has, in fact, hidden a quantum bomb on Mars for this very purpose, meaning she must have known the bugs were there. And uh, so that's like that's kind of this whole conspiracy that somebody wanted the bugs to, I, guess we got, I guess we just gotta get it out because this is what's revealed in the course of the film is that the Sky Marshal is very much against the idea of Martian independence and is worried that if Mars starts fighting for its independence other colonies might and so her, her long game is she's gonna use Mars as an example she, she let the bugs colonize Mars so that she can blow up Mars as an example to all other colonies that you don't turn your back on the Federation
0: Right, and, it's a smart aspect of the plot and we get um, I think you had more of a point you wanted to make well, ju- just that the, the name Traitor of Mars kind
1: of ha- has many meanings because you could argue mm. that the Traitor of Mars uh, is a reference to the Martians who want independence. You could make the argument that Carl is the Traitor of Mars because he starts working behind the Federation's back. You could also argue that the Sky Marshal is the Traitor of Mars because she's willing to betray and destroy Mars uh, in order to make an example for the rest of the Federation. Well, and in the
0: movie, I believe I caught a titular line early on where she's uh sky Marshall's revealing her plan, and she's gonna pin it on um Carl and he'll be known as the traitor of Mars. Oh, you're right so but you're right that it could mean multiple things is is a good catch and uh, why this is a good title for the movie um but you know shortly after the the troopers land on Mars and they have this big um, fight scene. They're trying to escape from the bugs, and uh, a platform collapses, and Rico falls. And they get rescued by the cousin of one of the characters. Yeah, oh, yeah, by the, the glasses guy. The, yeah, the cousin of the glasses guy. They get rescued by, by what I think. Who has this real over the top southern accent? It's over the top, but I think it it works. It reminded me fondly of the StarCraft uh, game. Well, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of
1: like again, in old war movies, the pilot who used to be a crop duster.
0: Yes, that too. Because um, that
1: seems to be the implication is that he just he just pilots a small courier transport, and now he's kind of been pulled into this war zone to rescue some family.
0: And when Rico is separated. Um, he he's on his own but you know luckily he's a good fighter but he starts to see uh dizzy yeah she uh, was his lover that gets killed by a bug played by Dina Meyer who also played the same part in the film
1: in the first film yeah and and this this is when it gets interesting because we do find out later that that Rico isn't straight up hallucinating that this is a projection that Carl is putting in his mind. Carl is communicating yes. with Rico through this image of Dizzy Flores. And it's one of those things where I don't, I don't understand why Carl doesn't just manifest as himself in this unless he just believes this will be more motivating for for Johnny. But one thing that I do find fascinating is that when she's trying to wake him up, she starts making out with him. And, and part part of me wonders, since since Johnny and Carl used to be best friends in middle school and high school, is the implication supposed to be that Carl Carl is gay and was always attracted to Rico, but couldn't or <laughs> wouldn't say it? And this is kind of, this is as close to him being able to express his feelings as he's ever been.
0: Um, I didn't think about that. Maybe. It's, it, it is... I will give you that—that that it is strange that Carl doesn't just talk telepathically directly to him, but it's we get some nice dialogue between Rico and, and Dizzy, and that he's already always had feelings for her. And I mean, the whole purpose of it is you're trying to motivate Rico to stop the bomb from going off. Yeah, and, 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 and sort the main... of point him in the right direction. Yeah. And it it is it is
1: neat seeing them talk as they go across as they as they're crossing the Martian desert, which looks gorgeous, by the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks it looks like NASA footage of Mars with the red pitched up just a little bit, almost like it's Technicolor footage of Mars.
0: Yeah, you do get some nice, um, artful wide shots of the scenery, and as he's just uh, wandering around and, and isn't in great health. You know, she gives him the, the kick in the pants. He keeps on needing to get going. And yet, as cool as all the Dizzy stuff is, I wish they would have wrapped it up in a better way because she just kind of vanishes from the story. Yeah, it, it would it would
1: be nice if it didn't just kind of end just because the hallucination was no longer useful.
0: Even if the hallucination just changed into a... um. You know, a different, a, a, version, a different character or as Carl or as maybe as different characters in the movie, like that could have been fun. You know,
1: actually that would be interesting if the if the hallucination changed into different people who had inspired Rico, like if at one point it turned into Ratchak from the first film. Yes. Or Zim um,
0: or Zim. Or his his parents, or yeah, I mean, which, there's a lot you could do with that. Which, speaking of Zim, so this is when we get to another. This is when we get we get into the
1: most video game like section of the movie because, it, while wandering in the desert, Johnny is attacked by a bug, and all he has is a knife, which I feel like is a deliberate callback to that knife combat training scene in the first film. Mm-hmm. And it's a really it's a really fun scene seeing Johnny take out the bug with the knife. Before being surrounded by more bugs And this this is when it really is like a video game Because during this whole sequence He is running from location to location Fighting the bugs that are chasing him And pulling armor and weapons Off of troopers And and really for lack of a better term Powering himself up Until by the end of the fight He's fully armored, fully ammoed, fully fueled And is doing all sorts of crazy video game stuff Mowing down hundreds of bugs And doing these huge jumps with his jump jets
0: yeah even the shots of him with the weapon and he's trying to like hide behind a rock or something trying to peek around to see where the enemy is is even you know from the same kind of point of view you might get in a video game like years of war. It's a uh, it's nice to have Johnny Rico kill a lot of bugs just by himself. It shows what expertise he's gotten over the years and um, of course all the all the weaponry is is fun. And it's also
1: around this time that his squad, who escaped, decide that they want to go back for him. Because they realize, we don't know for sure that he's dead. We can't leave a man behind. And this is this is when something comes in that, that never really pays off. Is that it turns out that the pilot for the transport they're in... He didn't fill it up before he went out to rescue him. So he's running on mm-hmm. fumes. And the fact that fuel's running short doesn't really seem to come into play. Because when we cut away from them deciding to turn back and cut back to them... The implication would seem to be that they've been flying for several
0: hours. Yeah, that is a weird device. I mean, I guess you can try and put the pieces together and be like, well, you know, there's certainly fuel depots or things on Mars, because it is colonized. Uh, they, don't, don't they also make a point that one of the characters is a Martian? Oh, yeah. Meaning well, no, he's the guy, a human the, born on Mars. Yeah, the guy with the glasses is from Mars. Yeah, so they, they sort of make a, a point of that that and makes it a and bit he, more he, personal. Yeah, and he's the one that really that early in the movie really
1: advocates with Johnny that they should get shore leave so they can all celebrate Air Day. Yep. Yeah, so so we we start moving into the the film's final set piece, which is there's this old decommissioned terraforming station and that's where the Q bomb has been hidden. Uh and it's really nice to see to see Johnny and, and the squad, the squad of course jumps down um we, it's great to see them reunite uh, and it's a great action set piece as they blow up the bridge that connects that the bugs are going to use to cross into the terraforming station uh, and we get a really neat kind of closure to the uh, Martian pilot where the whole reason they have to do the drop is they can't land because he gets, he gets uh, he, the, the, the transport gets damaged so they jump out of it and the transport's going to crash so the pilot crashes it into the butt of a plasma bug which leads to one of the film's best explosions <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a big explosion. Of course, that's another trope from these sort of uh, war movies, right? Is that the guy sacrifices himself for the greater good of the team?
1: Yep. And the uh, and this is and this is when they get their plan because at this point. Uh because when they get there, they don't, they, don't know about, they don't initially know about the bomb, although that information does come to them, and they get this idea that this decommissioned terraforming station, its reactor is still there, so if they can power up all of its systems and, and sabotage it, they can turn the terraforming station into a giant bomb. To blow up uh, the bugs, uh, and since it'll take time for it to fully charge up, that'll give them time to escape. Assuming, you know, assuming a rescue craft comes. But in the process of doing this, they find the bomb while um, while Sky Marshal Snap is giving her whole speech about why it's a noble it's noble to sacrifice Mars. And this is this is the best over the top speech in this movie. It just it it just hits all the right beats of manipulative patriotism and jingoism, uh, and and this sort of this this joyful this gleeful to gleefully embrace the death of other people (laughs) Mm. for for some imagined noble cause. Uh, But you know and and i really i really like her disappointment because there's supposed to be a live feed of mars blowing up and she gets the trigger and she activates it and then nothing happens and then we get a broadcast from mars as we see rico and his squad talking about how they found this bomb and and disarmed it cuz it was dangerous right it's it's, uh, it's great
0: seeing her flustered it is and as she gets frustrated she gets more angry which is sort of funny as well
1: yeah, and, and and so this is going on. So they set the they set the reactor to explode, and it's a really neat effect seeing the terraforming the terraforming system belch out these storm clouds that are throwing uh, that are throwing you know lightning and rain everywhere. And this is when uh, this is when uh, Ibanez shows up. Her ship comes out of hyperspace and orbit around Mars, and she's going to rescue Johnny and his squad. Uh, and it's and it's pretty fun because they all they all one by one they they make the jump they can't land the vehicle because they're halfway up the tower and the bugs are crawling up it, and so they all one by one jump aboard but one of the uh, but the Martian trooper he has no jump fuel, and it's pretty cool so like Rico says no I'm not going to leave you behind grabs him jumps and his jet doesn't have enough thrust to get to the transport. And it really is this triumphant heroic scene when another one of the troopers jumps back out of the transport, grabs onto them, and they use both of their jets to carry all three of them inside.
0: Yeah, that's like, that really is, That the, is the
1: heroic, patriotic ending to the film.
0: It's patriotic. You get um, them working as a team. You also get sort of the, the neat sort of physics of, oh, how are they going to get out of this and boost enough to get back in the... Um, get back in the ship, because the the ship, as you mentioned, can't land because of the crazy winds and all the stuff that's going on. And it's a good sort of button to the scene, because if they all just jumped on the dropship no problem, they'd be kind of anticlimactic. And uh, and the other thing I like is
1: that it also shows that the troopers can now sort of think on their feet and survive these combat situations. But there's a lot of I mean, There's of course lots of references to earlier Starship Troopers films There's a number of references to aliens And this is when all those references to aliens Come home to roost Because how does aliens end They fly away They're on a drop ship flying away from an exploding Terraforming complex And that's exactly Ooh. how this movie ends It's almost the same shot The angles are just a bit different They fly away as the terraforming, the terraforming complex blows up And we see that wonderful flashy explosion In the background as they're leaving the planet's atmosphere
0: Right, and at the end, you know, at the very end, all the sort of loose ends get tied up. Oh yeah, it's all bows being
1: tied from this point on. We see how we see how the the, the Federation reacts to to the realization that the Sky Marshal tried to blow up Mars. Uh, we get the implication that Carl might be taking the Sky Marshal's place. At least you know she, he's sitting in Snap's uh, chair. Snap is arrested. Public opinion turns against her. The Martians are happy. It's it's. Uh, it's only made the Federation stronger, and then, like the first film, it ends with Johnny Rico leading a squad into battle on a newsreel. <laughs> hmm. And overall, I mean, and overall, it's it's very very satisfying. This this
0: is probably the best of the Starship Trooper sequels. I don't know if I'd say it's the best. I have a soft spot for Starship Trooper 3 Marauder. But I think, yeah, this is very good. This is better than I thought. I like that it's a continuous story with an arc of sort. I like that it's on Mars. I think visually that's a good choice. And it it does make me want to um, go back and watch the last one, uh, Starship Trooper's Invasion, a bit again to kind of remember what Rat's ass did in that because he is like the one side character that carries over into this one. Um, so yeah, I would give Starship Troopers, uh, Trader of Mars a sequel, yes. It's it's better than I thought. I kind of expected the worst looking at the cover art for this movie because That's it's very generic. Absolute sequel, yes, for me as well. If they can keep the...
1: I, I am now looking forward to the next movie in this series.
0: And I bet we'll get another direct-to-video animated one because they've done, I think, three or four of the Resident Evil animated stuff uh, that has their own continuity. So I gotta gotta ask,
1: do you think these new animated sequels are being done because these movies are profitable and they're really big in Japan? Or do you think these movies are being made so that Sony can hold on to the rights to Starship Troopers?
0: Both? Yep, it can be both. I think to hold on to the rights is the main reason. I mean, it should be mentioned most of these Starship Troopers names have like nothing to do with the book, really. It's, they, it's yeah, just a name. Further,
1: they get further and further from the book with each one. I think, you know, strangely enough, of all the adaptations that have, I think the Roughnecks TV series was, yeah. had the most to do with the source material.
0: You're right because it had those uh, those aliens that were really tall. The that skinnies, were, uh, yeah. The the skinnies that were a part of the book, and um, although sadly the Roughnecks series ends on a cliffhanger. <laughs> you and know that Earth is going to be assaulted by all these bugs, and then it just ends. You know what would be a great
1: book—just a book that's all the creators and writers and producers of prematurely canceled series talking about where it would have gone.
0: I believe you know. So here's something about Roughnecks, the Starship Troopers cartoon, really quick. Originally, it was released. Um, so the way the episode, the show is structured, is that. Like every five episodes would be a different campaign on a different planet. It was yeah, they had these long-term right. arcs. Long, long-term arcs, exactly. And they initially came on DVD in in sets based on the arc. So, like arc one, or you know the the Pluto campaign, or whatever, right? And all the other stuff. I think there's eight separate ones, as it looks like. And um, on those original versions, they had um, I don't know about documentaries, but they had like audio commentaries and bonus features and then later it got re released as a box set, which is the version I used to have, the complete campaigns, but they took out all of the bonus features. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. But I but from what I've heard is is some of the commentaries on there mentioned that four episodes were planned to wrap up the series, but they were never completed for budgetary reasons. Also for budgetary reasons, five of the shows are clip shows. Oh. Which uh, For an animated series, is especially... They're not even, like, that cleverly done. I mean, you think of the Simpsons had clip shows, lest we forget, early on in its run.
1: Clip shows that, mind you, were often 50% new animation.
0: Yes. That is true. Um, I mean, out of the clip shows on the roughneck shows, one I thought that was... I think Rico was on trial for something, and they... Of course, that's a classic setup for these sort of clip shows, and he has to... They show clips of past episodes to justify why he was a good uh, commander of his troops. So, um, but yeah, no, I give the sequel yes, as we mentioned, so let's go into pitch a sequel. I have something in mind. Go right ahead. It would be called um, Starship Troopers Eye of the Storm, and it would be take place before these two animated ones, but after... Um, Starship Troopers 3 Marauder and it would explain how Johnny Rico loses the eye and gets the eye patch but it's also called eye of the storm because some of it would take place um, around Jupiter which is a gas planet and you would have um, Rico as he's rising in the ranks and still sort of respected he gets a, uh, a distress call from the uh, the eye of Jupiter, and he he thinks it's uh, some troopers that that need to be rescued, and it's of course the no uh, no no man left behind. We don't leave anyone behind, and so despite orders, he goes into the the eye of the storm on uh, on Jupiter, and it turns out it's a it's a trick. It's actually a hyper intelligent kind of bug that could send. Fake transmissions, and um, and so most of the action would take place on this partially organic bug ship full of these really smart bugs that Nico nice. and, and his troopers have to fight. And during that, he gets um, he gets separated. Something will happen in, in which his eye gets shot out, and you'll learn why that happens.
1: Hmm. Cool. Yeah, because I, I would do I would do uh, a direct sequel. It would be uh, Starship Troopers: Homecoming, and Ooh. the idea is, you know, Johnny Johnny has now reached retirement age. Uh, he's never died Ooh. in combat, so the sh- the short of it is, the the Federation's kind of entering into an uneasy period of peace with the bugs. So Johnny is just tired of the whole military game. So Johnny retires with full citizenship. But as part of his retirement bonus, we'll call it, um, he doesn't move back to Earth. He's given a huge plot of land on a new colony on a very nice tropical paradise planet that is very much like his home of Buenos Aires. And so he's essentially just going to retire and be a farmer and manage this, you know, track of land. And everything is going great. Uh, We'll actually spend a lot of time establishing this colony and getting to know people. And the reason why is one day... Out of nowhere, a bunch of bugs show up, and all hell breaks loose. And so Johnny, without any military hardware, uh, uh, just kind of like a shotgun for shooting varmints, he ends up gathering together uh, a bunch of uh, survivors and decides that uh, the and decides he's going to lead this ragtag group of survivors uh, through the wilderness of this planet to get to the planet spaceport where they can hopefully. Uh, Get a, get a ship through some means to get off to get off planet, um, and in the course of doing this, I do kind of want to keep the satire angle because while all the chaos is happening on this planet, uh, I want to keep cutting to federal news broadcasts, and I want the news broadcast reporting on what's going on with this planet to be completely different from what's going to, from what's actually going on. Like, you know, the, oh, dear, there's a harsh weather system going on on this planet. Uh, those colonists better batten down the hatches. And what you end up finding out is that, uh, that what we're going to satirize here is, is uh, diplomacy gone wrong. Uh, and it's going to turn out that uh, some high-level uh, Federation officers have opened up a channel of communication with several brain bugs and essentially they are trying to negotiate peace between the two peoples but this peace has to come with a cost and part of these secret negotiations is okay well as part of this treaty we're just we're each going to have to hand over some territory and redraw our borders to what our borders were like several decades ago and this planet turns out it used to be a bug world several decades ago. So Mm. the reason the bugs are there is because the Federation quite literally handed the planet back over to the bugs. Gotcha. And and one of the things we're going to show, though, is that the planets that the bugs are handing back over to the humans, the bugs are actually leaving peacefully. Because that is an idea from the novel that is never quite addressed in any of these movies and one of the ideas in the novel is that the only reason the humans and the bugs are at war are because the humans fired first that that the war is, the war was started by the humans and it's all the humans fault and that's kind of what I want to play around with here, that the only reason this endless war is happening is because the Federation keeps making it happen okay and so that'll, that will be uh, Starship Troopers' homecoming. And of course, the big homecoming will be when uh, at, the, at the end of the movie uh, when uh, Johnny takes the ship that they took at the spaceport back to Earth. And he will, of course, get drafted back into military service since the war has of flared course. up into full force again.
0: Just when they take me out, they pull me back in. Yeah.
1: Um, oh, and we will get to see Johnny vote because when he's retired, he has full citizenship.
0: Does he try to have a child? Isn't that part of the? Well, that's it's it just... it, well as they say it's easier to get a permit if you've had military service.
1: But ah, I never got the I never got the sense that Johnny wants to settle down. So I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. I guess the other reason is if if it, to keep the sort of cliched war and action movie stuff going, if Johnny's married and having a kid, his wife's going to have to die, and I really don't want to do that scene.
0: Hmm. Right. Okay. Cool. Um. Now so we're gonna move on to what you're watching, uh, Thrasher. What have you been watching? All right. So I, uh, I had,
1: uh, I had uh, a, a pre- I came down with a really, really bad sickness uh, a, a a week or two ago, and was pretty much laid up in bed uh, all week, and. To entertain myself, I started digging around Finding obscure anime Like really old stuff Stuff that yeah. exists Stuff where like the English version exists In an obscure area of copyright And nobody necessarily owns it And I made a really interesting discovery Which was this science fiction anime movie Called They Were Eleven all right, which uh, was written, which uh, was uh, released. It's based on a manga uh, that apparently has had several adaptations in Japan, including a live stage play. Which this would be great on stage, but the uh, the animated film was released in 1986, and it's really fascinating because it's essentially it takes place in the future, and there's this you know intergalactic league of planets, and it's you know very much like the Federation. And very much like the Federation Academy. So we follow this young man who is tr- taking the entrance exams for this, like, the the, Gal- the Federation's, like, super elite school. Uh, and, you know, everyone who comes out of there becomes an officer, a leader. You know, it's, it's where you go if you want greatness. And it's supposed to be really rigorous. And he passes the written version of his exam. And he's told to put on a spacesuit. Uh, he goes into this hall with all these other people Who pass their exams in spacesuits And what they're told is They're all going to get a number And everyone with that number Has to go, to, has to, go uh, to, a, uh, to an airlock And they'll all be broken up into groups of ten And they're each going to be given a ship And the fi- their final test Is they have to crew this ship for 40 days and that's all that's all they're told. So he and his group, they all get into the airlock of the sh- of the ship, which is all broken down and orbiting this obscure sun. And when they all get out of their suits, they realize that there's 11 people in the airlock, not 10. And immediately the paranoia starts. And it really is, it's almost a locked door mystery, except nobody's been murdered. But they're all really paranoid, and, like, things keep going wrong on this ship. There are these, like, vines that are growing everywhere. And we get into all the characters' backgrounds, which are really fascinating, including one character who, her her whole story arc is she's from a planet where, by law, all children are born female, and you have to you have to pass all you have to earn the right to be male and that's why she's that's why she's 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 trying to join this academy is that if you come out of this academy you get on the fast track to becoming male and that's what she wants and it's and it's just this really fascinating character story and everything does all come together and I love the way the test wraps up because, again, the test is they have to uh, they have to crew the ship for 40 days, but there's a panic button and they can end the test at any time by pressing the panic button. And a lot of there's a lot of neat stuff happens in this movie based on the tension between the people who want to hit the panic button and the people who don't and want to hit the full 40 days. Now, mind you, the the dubbing's kind of weird. There's some weird vocal choices. The dialogue is a little bit stilted, which may have more to do with the translation of the source material rather than the source material. Um, the animation is very dated, but it, it, this is a fascinating movie. This is, this is well worth watching. This is something that you could remake today into a truly great film.
0: You know, the way you described it reminds me a bit of the uh, John Carpenter movie, The Thing, a, a little bit,
1: except that nothing is actively harming people. Like, most of the sure. people who suffer, it's bec- it's by accident. Although, one of the early things they discover is that somebody has planted bombs on the ship. Mm. And it's really interesting to see how the whole bomb subplot uh, develops.
0: Cool. Um, I have been out to the theater a lot lately, just because... Um I don't know. It's that time of the year, I suppose, and uh, I had a chance to see the new movie, Solo.
1: Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. I might be seeing it uh, next week.
0: Mm-hmm. um So I, I don't want to spoil anything.
1: Well, I... Yeah. Well, this is what I've learned. If it's any good, it can't be spoiled. So, I'm not... You can say whatever you want to me, I guess, but... Although, I guess keep, keep our audience in mind.
0: Yeah, I'm more out of consideration to the listeners. Um, I'll say this. I think it's... It's okay. I think it's the first time for me as a big Star Wars fan a Star Wars movie has felt it's substantial. It's exactly what you think it is. And there, there's huh. cute moments and stuff, but it feels like you're just reading one of like the more mediocre of the novels. Huh. It has um, some good acting, some, some good effects. Uh, the theater I saw it in, I, I think, was... Um, didn't, wasn't using the uh, the light and the projection at full blast. Hmm. And, um, much like when I saw uh, Phantom Medicine in the theater, so many of the scenes were so dark I could barely make out anything. Because later I saw production stills of the movie and I was like, oh, this looks much more compelling. Um, and to be fair, a lot of movies in the shadows. Um, it, it is interesting, though, to see a... A movie that doesn't focus on um, the Skywalker family, which was also a point of Rogue One. But I think while Rogue One has a has an interesting story, this one is a lot more risk averse.
1: Well, you know, there is. We are going to be talking about the new Star Wars movies on this show. I think what the plan is once the once Episode Nine comes out, we're going to start catching up.
0: Uh, I think so, at least with that trilogy. But certainly, if you've seen, if you see Solo, we could always do like a, a two-episode thing of the Rogue One and Solo. Yeah, because I, I, could,
1: because uh, there, there's, there's a lot, there is a lot to talk about, and that is one of the things is that I, I feel that that the Star Wars right now is very risk averse. Uh, I don't believe any risks have been taken with the new films.
0: Hmm. Yeah, food for thought, and uh, I think certainly. Disney, as we've seen with them taking over uh, Marvel and stuff, um, they're not afraid to pump out movies. <laughs> no. And and Solo is it's not going to be a flop by any means. It's going to make a lot of money. But already uh, some of the box office gross for it is, is showing uh, a bit of a hit. And it doesn't help that they push this out. This came out, it's, it has been like six months since we had um, Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And they might have been smarter holding on to this and waiting. Uh, especially all the drama behind the scenes with the, this Han Solo movie. With the director, original directors getting fired when it was like nearly done. And having a new director come on and refilm most of it. This, this is the type of movie where like
1: in, in 20 years, there might be a movie about the making of this movie.
0: That's better than the movie itself, yeah. <laughs> I, I think so, Hopefully. Um, Which, honestly,
1: is something I would love to see. I would love to see an Under the Rainbow, but for the making of a Star Wars film.
0: Right. You know, it's funny you say that. Some of the best uh, documentaries I've seen have been for really bad films, and it's just people you know, decades after the fact kind of (laughs) coming clean on it. Uh, In particular, um, Highlander 2, uh, one of the special versions of that, has a great documentary in which uh, several of the cast members call the producers assholes. Um, It's... They they really take the gloves well. out in a way you don't usually see, because um, I think really no one cares now about Highlander two, and it, it certainly was one of the steepest drops in quality we've covered on this show. Yeah, quite
1: quite true. That was an experience.
0: Um, anything else you've been watching?
1: Oh gosh, uh, uh, several several different uh, several different things. I'm trying to think of something that's really uh, really stood out to me recently because un- unfortunately i've been kind of immersed in i've I've had i have some big deadlines coming up so i've been kind sure. of immersed uh, uh immersed in that oh actually i did want to ask ask get your opinion on this what do you think of the trailer for the happy time murders i found i found that that's proven to be a very divisive trailer
0: i really liked it it reminds me a lot of the old peter jackson film meet the feebles um, I, I have been following it for a while, and Brian Henson has been trying to get this made for well over a decade. Yeah, I um, actually, I remember I remember
1: first hearing about an early version of this film, I think back, I think when we were in college.
0: I, you're right, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, um, I've, been fo- I've been following the development of this for quite some time.
0: And I think w- what I like in, in the clips is it's, it's showing that the, uh, the live-action human uh, characters in the film seem to be going just as over-the-top with their performances as The Muppets, which I think for the the kind of crazy tone they're working for seems to, seems like it'll work. And I, and I think given that thing like Sausage Party was a popular film, this one has a chance of doing pretty well. Um, are, are people kind of aghast at how, like my wife really didn't care for it at all, um, well, I think like most of the most of the negative responses I see to this
1: film is is essentially like saying like this it, it comes down to saying that this film is like ten years too late and that edgy puppets aren't funny, which I don't think we're gonna. I mean, there's gonna be there's gonna be adult humor coming from the puppets, which frankly I think we need more of. But the sense I get is that this is going to be more of a parody of a police procedural than just an excuse right. for puppets to do horrible things.
0: Yeah, so I think it'll have that, too. Um, I, speaking of which, I'm a bit surprised we haven't had a movie of Avenue Q. You know that with the amount of
1: Broadway shows that get movie adaptations, that is very surprising.
0: Yeah, I mean, even that's when they could do as one of those, you know, live television things. Um, but, yeah, it, it it's a bit curious. Uh, one thing I did catch to wrap this up is... Um, the season two for The Toys That Made Us popped up on Netflix recently. Oh, yeah. So I want to see that. I, I watched a little bit of that, and uh, I think what made me appreciate the show more is I I saw a commercial for it, and, and I thought for some reason it would be about toy collectors, which I'm not especially interested in, but it's really more about the business angle um, of these companies. And I, I saw two episodes from the new season, one on Hello Kitty and one on Star Trek. Oh, wow. And, um some good takeaways were in Hello Kitty mentions how the company Sanrio uh, over there they have created you know over 400 original characters and only 12 of them have been hits <laughs> <laughs> and and they talk about how they manufacturing stuff with Hello Kitty or whatever karokoro Kuropi Kuro or whatever it is that's on it is well some some other company might make oh, I don't know 10,000 bath towels with Hello Kitty this would make a um, hundred different products, but only like a thousand, produce a thousand units of each. Oh, th- thus
1: making the individual characters collectible? Uh,
0: making the individual characters, yeah, collectible, making the, the more product, but less, um, less inventory.
1: Huh.
0: Of said product. In um, the Star Trek one, you want to talk about frank discussions, is how the star trek brand was mishandled (laughs) yeah (laughs) as opposed to star wars which although it took them a while to find a toy company that would buy into it um star trek uh, at least until the i haven't quite finished that one but it it goes into the mego figures which were were pretty popular but beforehand you know they would do they they talk uh, in the toys that made us about a practice called label slapping which is still done quite a lot today. Oh yeah! And that, that you take a generic product, you come out with it again, but you put a, a Star Trek sticker on it, and now it's the Star Trek um, toothbrush instead of the black toothbrush, generic toothbrush. So.
1: Oh, you know what is one of the best examples of label slapping I've ever come across it was on a was on a pretty sure it was a bootleg piece of merchandise. This was at the flea market back in Savannah, Georgia. It was a toy laser gun that made noise and lit up, and the label it had on it was Harry Potter.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I really wish I had bought that. That's that's pretty good. Um, I think it's not label slapping, but sort of uh, uh, one thing they go into Hello Kitty is uh, the infamous back massager that's also used as a vibrator. <laughs> it was marketed as a back massager, but the, the the shape and everything that um. Well, I mean, if you if
1: you have an imagination, every toy is a sex toy.
0: Well, I'll just say this much: this this back massager is quite narrow, for a back massager. Looks more <laughs> yeah. like a pen. Some people have narrow backs, Mac. That that's true. Like the skinnies in Starship Troopers. Um. Okay. So.
1: <laughs> Full circle. To,
0: yeah full circle do I have anything I want to plug Um, I'm working on some more articles for hardcore gaming 101 on some uh, um, some Mickey Mouse games so cool so that that's been interesting to see kind of the you have this kind of delightful sprite work kind of trapped in a side-scroller game uh, understandably I think aimed at children so that's it, sort of... And, and the settings for these games are quite different. I think the first one is like in the woods. The second one, it's like circus-themed. And the third one, uh, it's like a Jack and the Beanstalk or something. Like, it's there's nothing really linking these games, except for you play as Mickey Mouse, and in the first two games, Minnie is Player Two, or you can be Donald Duck in the third one. So I've been, been working on that. What about Thrasher? Uh, you got anything coming out?
1: Uh... Yes, but I don't know when, especially depending on when this is going to be released, because I've got got a few, I've got like three books in development with Skirmisher Publishing, but right now the release dates are kind of up in the air, so at some point you will see the book of chaotic mutations and uh, oddities for a trinket table, Uh, and, and there is a Ragnarok source book coming out for the miniature war game Ragnarok Age of Wolves, which I've contributed to but as of now i have no idea when those are coming out the release dates haven't been set there's of course you know this summer uh the new warhammer 40000 rpg wrath and glory is coming out i've contributed to that as well um and i will be at the origins game fair uh in columbus ohio in mid june if uh, anyone wants to see me in person and, and try out some of my events um but beyond that i guess that's the that's the sad thing i've got like several things i could plug but my information is limited uh Oh, there's also an H.P. Lovecraft-inspired card game that I'm illustrating that that's going to be difficult to hype because the title hasn't been said, but all, it involves escaping sure. from the seaside town of Innsmouth. Uh, Dagon Industries will be publishing that. Uh, but again, I, I don't know what the release date is.
0: Or the, or the title. <laughs> we enjoyed a H.P. Uh, Lovecraft-themed card game, I think, called was it Escape from Rylah or something. Uh, well, there's there's
1: in's mouth escape. Uh, mm. uh, there might be there might be an escape from Ralia game. Now this is if you hear us pronouncing it differently. There's there's really no incorrect pronunciation because Lovecraft was infamous for writing down weird made up words and not indicating how you're supposed to say them.
0: My mistake. This one's called Lost in Ralia. Oh. Uh-huh. But it's a pretty. I like that it's a quick. Sort of game, but you're basically trying to collect number. you're trying to build tiny decks and then get rid of them for points. Huh. And it comes in those little um, metal tins, which are, are nice for storage. Oh, those uh, are cool. I, I want to give a shout out to a podcaster I'm a fan of who's a writer who got a big break. Uh, her name is Mer Lafferty. She's, you know, might be best known for doing the podcast. I should be writing and ditch diggers and stuff. Uh, but she's had a lot of fiction published over the years but it was recently announced that she is going to be writing the novelization of the han Solo movie really and, yeah which is really cool and the way disney has been doing things is they don't have the novelizations come out at the same time as the movie anymore yeah that's really unprecedented i don't really like that i mean i think the idea is it wants to clamp down on spoilers but I mean, with the internet, as soon as there's a press screening or something, stuff starts coming out. Or, you know, a friend of the animator reveals something. Or, um, On the other hand, you know, it lets the movie speak for itself. And uh, maybe that means the, the market for these books isn't what it used to be. I don't know. Because um, Disney's been doing a lot of Star Wars books, um, especially in the, in the young adult and children's market. But they seem to be doing less novels overall, it seems. Or making less of a big deal of it than when Del Rey did it. Hmm. Well, I'm wondering. I'm wondering if they if
1: they, if they had just have like sort of I guess quote unquote realistic expectations for how how those books are going to perform in the marketplace. I remember when *Phantom Menace* came out, and I was in line uh, to get my ticket so to get tickets so my family could see it uh, on opening day and the person in front of me in line was reading the novelization of the Phantom Menace and was mm. almost done and was really trying to get the book finished before the movie. <laughs> and as I understand that there's like, Oh, well they didn't want to be surprised. And I don't, I right. really don't understand that motivation. Like I can understand being so excited that you want to get, get every piece of information you can, but to, to think that the movie's going to be such a, a shocking thrill ride that you need to be inoculated against it seems very strange to me.
0: Well, you remember how much uh, movies used to have um, novels? I mean, it used to be the case for every single damn movie that came out, pretty much.
1: Well, I mean, it's still a thing. Like, if a novel gets made into a movie, when the movie comes out, there will be a reissue of the novel using the movie's poster as the cover.
0: Well, yeah, I think, you know, one of the funniest examples that I've read of is... Uh, Gremlins had had a novelization, and one of the chapters is only one sentence, <laughs> and, and so it sets up. It's, it does this big chapter, you know, setting up. Oh, uh, the the kids had to remember not to feed the gremlins after Timmy had to remember not to feed the gremlins after midnight. Blah 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 blah, and then the next chapter it just says Timmy forgot. Oh that's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> I love it when when the people doing those
1: adaptations do something really creative and clever like that. I really like that.
0: Yeah um, Cool. All right well let's we're gonna do that scene you, you pulled up, right? Ah uh, yes, we found it. We found us we're gonna do another one of our
1: sequel cast uh, scene recreations. Uh, who do you want to be? Uh, I guess I, kinda, I, I I would like to do Johnny.
0: Okay, you can do Johnny, I'll be Baba, and then we'll just kind of take turns for the other people. Okay. This, is this from the simulation at the beginning, or can you give some context this, for this? Uh, yeah, this
1: is when... He, you don't know it's a simulation yet, but he's giving them their pre-mission talk during the simulation. Okay. And so... So, um, we'll yeah.
0: start. Officer on deck.
1: Today... You're going to locate a medium sized bug colony and wipe it out. Intel estimates infestation is level 2, which means we're up against a thousand active defenders.
0: We know what to do kill them all.
1: Yeah, that's the idea. Run the plan, Lieutenant. Yes, sir. Uh, Geo. First team secures the landing zone, sir. Uh, Camacho.
0: We'll locate the target's colony entrance, sir. Uh, 101.
1: We'll give them the gas. Kills bugs, but don't hurt us.
0: Baba. Oh, geez, that's me. Uh, flip the nuke. Flip the launcher and the nuke. Oh, uh, not yet. Uh, Dutch. Me and Bessie seal the deal right down to their bug hole. Remember your training and stick to the plan. Do you get me? We get, get you, you, sir. Sir. Okay. Very good. And and that and that that's a good scene because it shows how in just a few lines of dialogue, you can. <laughs> You can know which dot character is which soldier. And you can also... It, it
1: establishes their level of competence pretty
0: quickly, too. Yeah, because most of them, they all get slaughtered in that simulation, which is a, a fun way to start the movie. Very, very good. Okay, cool. So, um, next time... Around we'll be starting our look at the uh, two uh, live-action uh, Flintstone films uh, that are currently streaming on Netflix in the United States. So we'll be doing uh, the Flintstones next week, and then fo- that'll be followed up by the Flintstones' Viva Rock Vegas, which is a prequel, is that right?
1: Yes, starring a Baldwin.
0: Starring a Baldwin and starring a uh, an actor that was in Season 1 of Game of Thrones.
1: <laughs> and another actor who was in Son of the Mask.
0: And another actor that was in Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be a treat. Yes. Um, it's gonna you know, be sweeter than a bowl of fruity pebbles.
1: <laughs> That's right, Fred. <laughs>